welcome to Stetson. Hello, Vishrant. Hello. Can you please talk about the following topic? Surrender or suffer, the choice is yours. I was very fortunate in that when I was a teenager, I got shown that our minds create our own reality. And fortunately for me, I believed it. I got an understanding that we create our own joy, we create our own happiness, and we create our own unhappiness. And we do this basically by the way we think. And so any time that we offer resistance to life, we create a form of suffering. And the more uh, effort we put into that resistance, the more we actually suffer. And so I learned that uh, it's not a good idea to resist life. It's a really bad idea to be a victim of life ever. A being a victim of life, I mean a victim of someone else, a victim of circumstance, a victim of institution, a victim of anything. Uh, the moment we do that, uh, we create resistance in ourselves, contraction in ourselves. We create suffering in ourselves. And we don't need to. I mean, bad stuff happens. It happens to everybody. But we don't have to close. We don't have to go into resistance. We can accept what is. And in that acceptance, there's no resistance. And as a result, there's no suffering. So something bad can happen. Well, that's bad enough as it is. But on top of that, what we tend to do or what we've been programmed to do is then go into some form of resistance where <laughs> we've closed ourselves down, we've got ourselves defended and we're suffering and we don't need to. And at an ultimate level, enlightenment, Resist for what reason? Why would I want to create suffering for myself? Resist for what reason? Sure, things are going to go wrong. Sure, people are going to do the wrong thing from time to time. Sure, there's bad things happening in the world. Sure. But I don't have to resist it doesn't mean that I can't move the change because people think, well, if you don't resist, you can't move the change. Well, that's not true either. You can move the change from openness. We don't have to resist to go into resistance to make something different. We can just move and make it different from openness. And so we don't need to create suffering in ourselves through our resistance. And when we have a, a good look at desires, because usually it's our desire for something to be different than how it is, if we have a good look at them, we get to see that every desire to some degree has resistance in it. Now, if it's only a mild desire, there's not much resistance in it, there's not much suffering in it. But if it's a major desire, we want this to be so, or you are wrong, 
Well, <laughs> we're just creating so much suffering in ourselves. And for what? And so I was very fortunate. And then I got shown this when I was 19. And uh, from my perspective, it was like being shown gold because it meant that I didn't have to create a life of suffering. I could actually choose to accept life as it is. I could choose not to be a victim, not to volunteer to be a victim. Look, bad things happen, but you don't have to be a victim of it. And I chose not to. And as a result, well, it wasn't that much suffering in that way. As life knocked me around, as I got older, I realized, wow, I'm still resisting somewhere because I'm still suffering. So I started moving more and more and more towards acceptance of life as it is. And ultimately, if we look at that, what that does, it teaches the mind surrender. Surrender is actually a non-doing. You can't really do surrender. It's a non-doing. And so a surrendered mind is a mind that is not reacting, not resisting. But we can teach our minds to be like that through the practice of acceptance. Of course, it goes against survival. <laughs> because in survival, we resist to survive, which is lower consciousness. We resist to survive. And so because we're intelligent animals, not lower intelligent animals, because we're intelligent animals, we can see the point. We can see, heck, we do create our own reality and we create it by the way we think about things, our reactions to life. A bad thing might happen, but we're in control of the reaction to it. Now, if our reaction is one of resistance, well, we're going to suffer. If our reaction is one of acceptance, well, that's more of a response rather than a reaction. And we're not going to suffer. It probably doesn't change what's happened because what's happened's happened. But what it does change is our suffering. We don't suffer. So I watched people my whole life creating dramas about this, dramas about that, going against this, going against that. And I had no problems with people rebelling. But when we go to resistance inside ourselves, that is when we hurt us. And I just could not, for the life of me, see the point. You have a look and see. You have a look at your suffering. Well, pain happens. Things go wrong. But it is only our suffering caused by resistance that hurts us. Not things going wrong. Not pain. They're just pain and things going wrong. We can accept those. It's our resistance. What we put into going, no. And so... If you're fortunate, you'll hear this and you'll do something about it. I was fortunate when I was 19. I heard all this and I did something about it. I just could not see the point 
in having a life where I was a victim of everything and when I was where I was resisting everything. I just couldn't see the point. It was obvious that if I did that, I would be creating my own world of suffering. And so the question was, um, surrender or suffer? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Surrender or suffer? Hello, Vishwan. I have a question here. Is it helpful to ask the question, who suffers? <laughs> well, if you're interested in waking up, yeah, that's a, it's a, a form of self-inquiry and advice of a Vedanta question, who suffers? Take you back to beingness. But if you're using beingness to escape your suffering, where you're going to continue doing that till the cows come home, you want ongoing enlightenment. You learn to surrender. You don't learn to escape. You already know how to do that. You learn to surrender. You let go. How do I stop suffering in my relationships? <laughs> well, if you're suffering in your relationship, it means you're resisting something. Have a look at what you're resisting and then stop it. Um, relationships are difficult because the people who are close to us, the people that we love, the people we care about are the ones that can get us. They're the ones that can trip us up because we care about them. And more than likely in some way, our life is evolved around them. And so, yeah, they can get us. But can we use those particular reactions to practice acceptance, to practice surrender? Because they're the ones that will really count. And so our greatest teacher might be our partner because they're going to show us where we haven't surrendered inside ourselves yet, where we haven't accepted life as it is inside ourselves yet. So if you're lucky enough or fortunate enough to be with someone you don't get along with, wow, you have a true master there teaching you how to let go. The next question, the Buddha said attachments are a source of suffering. When I see myself attaching to things like romantic relationships, what do I do? Well, we look at attachment. Attachment is uh, us holding on. Now, to hold on to anything, we need resistance. No resistance, no holding on. No attachment, no suffering. Well, at least from that point, from, from attachment. 
And so in learning to let go, instead of holding on so tightly, we're letting go of suffering. But our primal imperative to attach ourselves to things for survival, in a way, keeps us locked in lower consciousness and suffering because we're resisting. But we're intelligent enough to let go if we want to. Let go. Let go and be free. Or hang on and suffer. A little bit like surrender or suffer. <laughs> Up to you. You're going to create your reality. Nobody does it to you. The world is just the way the world is. Your partner is just the way your partner is. If you have a partner, learn to let it go. Learn to not resist because the beauty of non-resistance is you perceive heart because you're not contracted, you're not closed. In non-resistance, you're open. And openness supports love. We, the perception of love occurs in openness. The more closed you are, the more resistant you are, the more likely it is that you're not perceiving a great deal of love. You might be perceiving bonding, attachment, but I wonder how much love you're actually perceiving because love appears in openness or it's perceived in openness. When you speak about openness, it sounds like surrender. Is this true? Well, a surrendered mind is open. So, yeah, you hold a, a newborn baby. I don't know if you've done that, but if you've ever had a newborn baby, you can just see how open they are and how um, defenseless and helpless they are. And, and in that, there's a potential for you matching that openness while you're holding the baby. And that openness is the way to live this world. Because that level of openness allows you to perceive love everywhere. The true jewel of consciousness, and probably the only thing that can save this planet, is love. Because the mind, left to its own ways, is just a survival mechanism. And it'll probably do anything to survive, probably. But when love appears, when you perceive love, when the mind's affected by love, it just wants to take care of everything and everyone. It is very beautiful. But it's up to you. It's up to you completely because you create the way you think. Why are humans trained to suffer? <laughs> trained to suffer. I don't think anyone trains anyone to really suffer. It's just that the way we've been brought up, we were never ever really programmed to be happy. As a matter of fact, we've probably grown up in a culture of victim orientation where people turn themselves into victims of just about everything, take offense at just about everything. And unfortunately, that particular type of culture 
creates nothing but suffering because as a victim, we're in resistance to life. We're in resistance to something which is suffering. So it's difficult because usually to change this uh, takes a fair bit of work. If we've been programmed to uh, suffer, programmed to be unhappy, because we were never programmed to be happy, we were probably programmed to be efficient little machines, but not happy. It takes a fair bit to get a handle on, well, what's going on? How, what works to make us happy and what works to make us unhappy? And any form of closure, any form of resistance is not going to make us happy, not really. In openness, we can perceive love. And that's very beautiful. There's happiness in that. The next question has been written by Enrique. There's two questions. The first is, how do acceptance of life and meditation support each other? Okay, so meditation is simply being aware of what's real. Um, if you're aware of the mind, you're aware of something that's not real. So a meditation practice is being aware of something that's real. It could be your breath, it could be the sound, it could be a sight, anything that's actually real. Keeping in mind that the only thing that's not real is what you think. Acceptance is something to do with the mind. It's just like the mind can either accept or not accept. In non-acceptance, it's in resistance and suffering. In acceptance, it's not suffering. It's open. So there are two very different things in a way. Meditation is simply, or well, the practice of meditation at least, is training the mind to be present to what is real. Now, in true meditation, you're present to what's real all the time. That's pretty cool. But acceptance, uh, in a way, supports that because it doesn't create drama inside your head. When we move to non-acceptance of whatever it is, we're, we're probably going into some kind of drama or in our minds, some sort of video we're playing in our minds about what we think is not working. But in meditation, you're just present to what's real. Out here, this is nice. Or present to beingness. It's pretty cool too. It's up to you. It's pretty hard to be in meditation when you're in non-acceptance because non-acceptance creates dream. So if you want to see a connection, acceptance of life as it is supports meditation. The second question from Enrique was, he writes, when acceptance doesn't work, meditation does. Why? Probably because you're using meditation to escape what is. <laughs> this is a thing, it's called spiritual bypassing, using spiritual methodologies to avoid the real world. Well, if you do that, you'll keep doing it till forever. If you want to be free, you don't avoid the world. You surrender to it. You accept it as it is. And if acceptance is not working, it's because you're not putting enough effort into making it work. There's something that you, you're still resisting. You have a look and see. 
There's so many ways that human beings use to escape unpleasant feelings, but every single one of those ways is in the way of higher consciousness, is in the way of the heart, and is in the way of enlightenment. Escapism, which humans have mastered, doesn't work for higher consciousness. It works to keep you in lower consciousness, and sometimes it works to take you out of suffering, but what a price. What really works is to be okay with the world as it is, to be okay with what you find inside yourself as it is. What works is acceptance. And ultimately, what supports enlightenment is unconditional surrender, not resistance, not escapism, unconditional surrender. The following question has been written by Kelly. What is your belief in a spirit realm? <laughs> I'm not into beliefs. Uh, I really aren't. I actually got to see that when I was uh, in my early, early 30s, late 20s, I got to see that I was chock a lot full of beliefs that have been passed to me by my parents, by my school, by my church, by my government. And gosh, they're all prisons. And uh, I started undoing them all. And so I'm not big on beliefs. And so when we talk about the spirit world, I guess you're talking about entity. And entity, yeah, my, my experience is that entity is real, that there are non-corporeal entities. That is my experience. Uh, as far as beliefs concerned, I really don't buy beliefs and I don't sell them. <laughs> Anyone who's selling you a belief system is selling you a prison. Undo all beliefs. Check everything out for yourself. If it's not your own direct experience, put it in a maybe column. Don't believe it. You want to be free, get rid of your beliefs. Find out everything for yourself through your own direct experience. And this is why I ask people never to believe me. Have a look where I'm pointing, sure, but never believe me. You want to go to prison? Buy a belief system. Works real well. <laughs> the next question has been written by a viewer. Can you speak on being in presence versus meditation? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if you're talking about your own presence or in the presence of somebody who's awake. Meditation can lead you to no mind and no mind is very peaceful. It's very nice. As a matter of fact, up until the age of four or five, you spent most of your time in no mind. Uh, because you weren't living in your head yet. You weren't, had to go to school to learn how to live in your head. And for most adults, they've lived in their heads ever since. Meditation uh, liberates people from that. It puts people back in touch with reality. But presence is different. If we're talking about the presence of a human being who is suffering, the presence is pretty painful. If we're talking about the presence of someone who's just in a business mind, well, that's not so nice either. 
but the presence of someone who's awake can expand your mind, can expand your conscious awareness, can open your crown chakra, your third eye, your throat chakra, your heart chakra. That's a different type of presence. That's the type of presence that I used to chase when I was a seeker. I'd go and hang out with the enlightened ones, beginning with Osho Rajneesh for eight years, and then moving towards the Advaita Vedanta teachers when they came to town and sitting in their presence because I could feel what it was doing to me. I could feel the expansion. I could feel going into beingness. It was beautiful. Now, meditation has the potential of taking you there. But the presence of someone who's awake can do it a lot faster. So I recommend that if you're interested in higher consciousness, you're interested in spirituality, you're interested in enlightenment, find someone who's awake to go and sit with and allow yourself to let go. Just let go and let the energy take you. Presence. A follow-up question. Does meditation incorporate the ego? Ultimately, no, because meditation takes you to no mind, and in no mind there's no ego. The ego uh, is the, probably the one that's interested in meditation, and it uh, initiates the practice of meditation, but it takes you beyond the ego because it takes you to no mind, and it has the potential of having awareness become aware of itself or beingness become aware of itself and so hmm, there is a little bit of ego in the beginning i fell in love with meditation because it took me to no mind and i just love the peace i love the tranquility i love the nothingness of it all but beingness is a little different than that <laughs> the ego is a it's not even real. You try looking for it, you won't find it. It's nowhere to be found. It's imagined. It's just an imagined thing with reference points from the past projected to the future and analyzing your belief systems. It's not even real. And it's not who we are. We are pure beingness, that that is aware of the ego, that that's aware of the mind. Have a look for that because that's what we are. The next question has been written by Dananjay. Sometimes when listening to Osho's dis disclosure, I fall into deep sleep, even at a time when I'm not sleepy. Is this a way for the mind to escape reality or is this a form of deep meditation? <laughs> so when you're talking about sleep, you're talking about going unconscious. <laughs> That's not really a form of meditation. I remember when I used to listen to Osho, sometimes I'd fall asleep as well. And there was different reasons for that. Sometimes I was just very tired because I'd be listening to him late at night. and I was full of energy that I'd picked up during the day. There was a sleepy type of energy that was pouring out of me and it put me to sleep. 
sometimes when I was uh, in satsang with Osho, I'd fall asleep listening to him because he was quite, he talked for long periods of time and he was quite monotonous in some, in some, in some ways, in some times. And I'd fall asleep. And that may have been because of the energy around me or my own energy wiping me out. But it doesn't really matter. But it's definitely not meditation when you fall asleep. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. It's good to have a rest. It's good to rest the mind. Matter of fact, uh, a rested mind can find higher consciousness and can find heart. And that's a good thing. And so it's up to you. But I don't believe that uh, meditation is sleeping. Can the ego just surrender itself to the light of consciousness? Well, you've got to understand what that means, first of all. That's like asking me, can the ego die for the light of consciousness? And it's not programmed to die, it's programmed to survive. It's a part of the survival mechanism of the mind. And so it's very difficult for the ego to actually die because nowhere in its programming does that program exist. It's programmed to struggle and survive until the very end. And this is why, in a lot of ways, enlightenment is rare, because the ego really does need to surrender, which is, look, un unconditional surrender is a death. The Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree and surrendered. He didn't sit under the Bodhi tree and meditate. He didn't sit under the Bodhi tree and self-inquire. He sat under the Bodhi tree and he surrendered. And in that unconditional surrender, that that's aware discovered itself and stayed aware of itself. That's unusual. That takes a lot of practice. The Buddha would have been very practiced at what he was doing. It's hard to surrender. You have to teach the mind surrender. And you teach the mind surrender through the practice of acceptance and the practice of meditation and the practice of self-inquiry. Anything that denies the mind, anything that lets the mind go. And so let go, let go, let go. Tune in. When I feel like nothing is going right for me and I feel lost, is there anything I can put my trust in that will help? Yeah, <laughs> when everything's going wrong for you, yes, there is. I learned um, from being a diver, underwater diver with tanks, that if you're breathing, everything's okay. If you're not breathing, you're in trouble. And so, from quite a young age, I put my trust in breathing <laughs> because I, I got my diving license when I was 10 or 11 years old, which is very young. And uh, I used to do cave diving and sometimes I ran out of air in caves or got caught somehow and ran out of air. And I got to recognize that really and truly, you can put your trust in breath if you have it. 
<laughs> Everything else, no. Because when you're running out of air, there's only one thing you need is air. And so from my perspective, if everything's going wrong and I'm still breathing, it's good. <laughs> Put your trust in breath. The following question has been written by Enrique. Sometimes by saying no to situations, I feel bad, but sometimes I don't. Surely, the first is not in accordance with acceptance. But what about the second reaction? Ah, Arika, I disagree. I can say no from openness. So can you. We can say no without resistance. All we've got to do is practice. And so I can say no from a place of openness, from a place of non-resistance. In practicing uh, yes, what we're doing is we're practicing non-resistance, that's true. But once we've mastered non-resistance, we can say no to non-resistance. We can remain open to non-resistance because we've mastered it already. Up to you, try it and see. <laughs> I find I get stressed when I'm too busy. Is it possible to not suffer when I get stressed? Well, if you're telling me you're stressed, you're already suffering because you're already resisting. See, let's look at the opposite of stressed, relaxed. No suffering in relaxed. You're stressed, you're resisting, let go and you'll find that stress dies in the let go. And then you become relaxed. No suffering. There's no need to suffer. Don't resist life. Don't suffer. Your choice. What does we go back to the uh, original question? Surrender or suffer? Your choice. <laughs> Up to you completely. If you're so used to suffering, how would you even start to become aware that you're causing it? Mm. Well, I was very used to suffering at the age of 19. I'd had a reasonably hard life. And uh, how I became aware of it was I listened to someone give a talk a little bit like the one I'm giving today, and I bought it. I decided, yeah, that's right. And then I did something about it. And so the insight is one thing, but doing something about it is another thing. You want to stop suffering, practice stop resisting. Just because you recognize that what's being said here is the truth isn't going to change anything for you. Because if you're suffering, you have default patterns of resistance. Any form of default pattern takes a while to change. It doesn't happen by itself. It's going to take your effort to change it up to you. You're the one who has to learn to not resist. And your willingness to do that is what's going to make the difference. You look at willingness. It's an interesting thing, you know. You have someone drowning out at sea. 
and you go out to rescue them. You swim out. And they're not willing to be rescued. Well, you're not going to be able to rescue them. <laughs> you're not, it's not going to happen. And the same goes for yourself. If you're not willing, you can't be rescued, not even by yourself. You have to do the work. You have to practice acceptance. Practice makes a difference, nothing else. Your choice. How would I know when my surrender is total? <laughs> when your surrender is total, there's absolutely nothing happening. You're at zero. And so the world comes along and it tries to upset you and there is no reaction. No reaction. Just openness. So the surrender is total. And the world will come along to disturb you. <laughs> one way or another it'll come along and it'll try to disturb you and you'll either react or you will not now if it's total if the surrender is total there's not going to be a reaction there may be a response but not a reaction so one of the ways you can test how good your surrender is to put yourself under fire somewhere see what happens <laughs> that's how you test anything put it under load The next question, I find that I have trouble putting strong boundaries to people when they show disrespect to me. What would surrender look like in this situation? Surrender is an internal process, not necessarily a external process. And so if you're surrendered inside, and someone's being disrespectful to you, there will be the acknowledgement in your mind of the disrespect, but there won't be a movement. There won't be a closing, there won't be a defending, but there may be a response. And the response may be to say, you're being dis disrespectful. It may be to move away from the situation, but from a place of absolute openness, because you are not reacting. You're not resisting internally. It is an internal expression of surrender, not necessarily an external expression, though it can be. If you're interested in enlightenment, it's an internal expression, a surrendered mind, not necessarily an external one, internal one. Have a look at the difference. We can be wide open while saying no. I can logically see that I cause my own suffering, yet I continue to do it. Why can't I just stop completely? Because your default pattern is to suffer. And like everybody else on the planet, you haven't really been taught how to not suffer. You were probably brought up in an environment uh, that was victim orientated and you turned yourself into a victim of situations and people and life in general. And so unless that pattern is changed, which is a default pattern, 
you're going to continue to suffer. Of course, you're going to continue to suffer. It takes quite a while to change default patterning, but with practice, human beings can change anything. With practice, human beings can become very present to their environment, meditation. With practice, we can learn to accept life as it is. We can learn to surrender with practice. It's up to you. What do you practice? Sometimes it feels like I have more physical pain when I move into acceptance of a situation. Why is this? Probably because you're holding yourself away from something. And uh, in that, in that uh, holding yourself away, there's a certain level of resistance. And so when we start looking at healing the wounds of our heart, uh, in other words, repressed emotionality, um, we can do that by feeling that pain that's the only way that I know to heal a wound is to feel it. Um, but we can stop ourselves from feeling it by resisting it, by holding ourselves away from it. Yeah, sure. So there's relief from pain because we're comfortable holding ourselves away from it. The moment we let go and surrender, yeah, we're likely to feel the pain. It's going to be uncomfortable, but that's how we heal wounded. We heal it by feeling it. And so it's up to you. You can hold yourself away from the pain if you like. Most people do, but then they're, wounded bunnies carrying a backpack of pain around with them. You want to get free, become willing to feel what's there, be tenderly okay with whatever appears. The following question is from a viewer. Hi Vishrant, I feel like a dog chasing my own tail when I hear effort or practice versus surrender and let go. Who is doing who? <laughs> well, basically the mind is uh, just programmed to do what it does. Now, it was programmed to do that by other people. You never programmed you. Uh, and more than likely you weren't programmed for happiness and you weren't programmed for higher consciousness. You were programmed for to be an efficient little machine that operates in the world. If we want to change that patterning, we have to do something different to what we've been doing before for quite a while until we develop a new default pattern. Now, if you don't want to do that, you don't need to. But if you see that you're banging your head on the wall and you want to stop it, you actually have to stop it. And that takes discipline. That means doing something to change something that's hurting you. If we do it for long enough, it becomes a default pattern and no more doing is required, no more efforts required. And so like with meditation, if we practice meditation for long enough, we become very present and then we don't need to practice meditation. And the same goes for openness. If we practice openness for long enough, we become very open. We don't have to practice it anymore. But that's because we've changed the initial practice of being closed with a new practice of being open. There was effort or discipline in the changing. Now, if the mind is constantly contracting and creating drama and attach, attracting awareness to it in that way, well, that's not going to support enlightenment. No matter how much you self-inquire, 
if that's what the mind does when you're not self-inquiring, awareness is just going to lock back onto the mind. You want awareness to stay on awareness or consciousness to stay conscious of itself. The mind needs to be relaxed. And if you haven't got a mind that is relaxed, then you need to create one. And that takes effort. That's the work that needs to be done towards enlightenment. There is no work needing to be done on beingness. Absolutely, it is always there. But the mind needs to be able to support enlightenment. And if it's constantly contracting and going to war with the world because it doesn't agree on something, well, it's not the type of mind that is going to support enlightenment. It's the type of mind that's going to support the suffering. Change it. What was your greatest teacher of surrender? Uh, my wife. <laughs> I, I had a, a, a lovely wife who I had two children with. And we just thought differently about things in the world. So we disagreed. And I was with her for 20 years. And she's a lovely woman. But we did have different ideas and different understandings of just about everything. And in being with her, I was able to learn acceptance and surrender. Because of our disagreements, instead of sticking by righteousness and arrogance, I just learned to let go. I learned to let go when, even when I thought I was right. And with 20 years of practice, I mastered surrender. My best teacher in this lifetime has been my ex-wife. A beautiful woman who I just disagree with from time to time. Oh, daily. <laughs> My best teacher. I saw a Zen quote recently that said, No story, no suffering. It seemed so simple and true. How do I start to live without a story? It's, it's not so much a story of the world. It's a story of you. And so I learned to do this because I was working as a naturopath and psychotherapist. And I noticed that every time I touched the door handle on my clinic, the story of Vishran would disappear of all his problems, of his relationship problems, of his bills, everything else that might be bothering him disappeared. And as he walked through that door, he was there for the person on the other side, their story, not his story. And that went on for sometimes eight hours a day or longer. No story of Vishram, just there for the people who had come to be either seen for psychotherapy or for a naturopathic reason just there for them. No story of Vishran. And after a while, I realized that, wow, there was no suffering either. There was no, no story, no suffering. No story of Vishran. And so I decided to take that into the rest of my life. Instead of just doing that when I touched the door on my clinic, I decided that my whole life would have no story of Vishran. What a relief. No story. No suffering. Beautiful Zen saying.
Is it willingness alone that will allow someone to be successful in surrender? Or is anything else required? You know, as a as a, a set, someone who holds satsang, what I see and what I'm attracted to is the willingness. You see, if someone is willing, no matter how far behind the eight ball they are, if they're willing, they have a chance. If they're not willing, they have no chance. Willingness is the big thing. Those that are willing have every chance in the world of waking up and being free. Those who are not willing have no chance. So are you willing or are you not willing? Up to you. What would you say are the most common obstacles to surrender? <laughs> Righteousness, arrogance, really. I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> but also, you know, ignorance. Um, if you don't know about the benefits of surrender, if you don't know how victimless works and that you're the author of it, if you don't know these things, you're ignorant. And so ignorance plays a really big part in people suffering and people uh, not surrendering. But if you know, then you have to do something about it. Knowing itself, which is insight, is not enough. Knowing or insight is really simply an invitation to do the work. And so the work is the great undoing. You undo the psyche, you reverse engineer it, you take out all the things that create contraction, all the things that put you in a defensive position, and you walk through the world open and vulnerable. And in this way, you perceive love in everything and everyone. This is the way of the heart. This is very beautiful. the practical steps needed to go from being touched and in resistance to surrender? Well, if you're not conscious of your mind, if you're not really aware of your mind, you're probably caught in the story. If you're caught in the story of blame once you're touched, you're lost actually. You're in lower consciousness. You have to have some level of separation from it to see it. And just, and just to not get involved. But if you don't have that uh, sight, if you don't have that detachment, it's very, very difficult. And this is why the practice of just witnessing the mind is such a powerful practice, because it allows you detachment from the mind so you can see what the thing's up to without getting caught in it. But that also is a practice. It's not something you can just get you actually have to practice that. And so the mind is doing what it does, talking to itself, making its plans. You simply watch it. You watch it like you're watching someone else's mind without judgment, no judgment whatsoever. Just witness it. Just witness the mind, see what it's doing. And when you can see what it's doing, then you have a certain level of 
distance from it. You don't get caught. And so when you do get touched, you don't react, you respond. You allow the touch, you allow yourself to feel, and you don't react. What does it feel like? What does life feel like for you, constantly living from a surrendered place? You ask the question as though there's somebody experiencing themselves as a somebody here, but there's not. That's a projection on your part. I don't experience anyone here. There's a nothingness here. At the same time, there's this vast everythingness and there's what's out here, what I can see. But there's nobody here. The, the somebody that was here died 22 years ago. Unconditional surrender. Now, it's possible that could be resurrected, but there's absolutely no interest. The mind is resting. The mind just stays still most of the time. If it's needed, it comes out and it's needed, gets used. And when it's not being used, it gets put back in the box again. And so whether there's uh, pain or the, whether there's bliss, doesn't matter either way, it's okay. Because there's no resistance. There's just no resistance whatsoever. There is a lot of love. Out here, there's so much love. The plants are love. The animals, the dogs, the cats, the fish, the trees, the sky, the clouds, people. There's a lot of love out here, but there's no one really loving. There's just love. And this is what people don't get sometimes about enlightenment. You don't get enlightened. You as an I don't wake up. That that's aware of the mind becomes aware of itself. That is awakening. And if it stays that way, continuously, that's enlightenment. But in that, the mind becomes very aware that it's not real and that the eye's not real. And so it drops, it dies, it's surrendered. It doesn't bother you anymore. That's up to, to you as an I. You're the one who's going to practice acceptance. You're the one that's going to practice self-inquiry. You're the one who's going to practice meditation. Nobody can do it for you. You can come into the presence of someone who's awake and get a blast and find yourself as truth for a period of time, usually short. But to, for that to last, you as an I need to learn to die before the body does that. Thank you for satsang. Good to see you brave hearts here today.